Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, uh, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Well, you'll find the uh, text, the reading uh, of Mark 2 in your handouts. Or you may like to have your Bible open to uh, Mark chapter 2. Bob and Janet were, or are, good friends of ours, and they uh, were living in Mittagong. But when our family moved from Mittagong to go to... uh, Ralston in the mid-western New South Wales, Bob and Janet, to our great surprise, dropped in. And uh, the day that the truck pulled up with all our belongings, there they were to uh, lend a hand with this unpacking. And then a few weeks later, some other friends from Sydney turned up and uh, we were there just sort of trying to work out life in Ralston and uh, they had come to tame the garden in the church grounds. And then the following Saturday, one of them dropped in again. Uh, Wayne, who uh, owned a chainsaw, and he loved to use it. And so he arrived, he dropped in about two o'clock at the afternoon, and it was a bit like today. Um, it had been raining all morning all day and I said Wayne I really don't think we're going to be able to get much done today with all this rain how long did it take you to get here about three and a half hours something like that what about a cup of tea yes please he said milk and two sugars and so we sat on the veranda we watched the rain tumbling down and I said to him Wayne you've come a long way today mate just for a cup of tea haven't you Now, whether it's a policeman 
or whether it's a, a relative who just happens to be passing through or uh, a friend who turns up on a wet day, perhaps there are times when we've all had the drop-in visitor. How have you felt about that really depended upon who they were and what you were doing. Now Mark includes in his gospel a drop-in visitor like no other. And uh, we find Jesus here very much prepared to receive him. We're already aware, aren't we, in Mark's gospel of Jesus' popularity? Jesus has come home. Uh, He's probably uh, staying at Simon, Peter's and Andrew's home in Capernaum. And last time we saw, didn't we, that uh, Jesus just couldn't openly enter into a town. It seems on this occasion he's come into the town under wraps, as it were. However, words got around. People know he's back. Um, and we find in the, in the story there's no social distancing going on uh, in the house. Such a, a large crowd. There isn't any room inside and there isn't any much room outside in the foyer. Probably the crowd has spilled out into the narrow street there where the house was. It could be Connect Capernaum, Wednesday night, who knows, gathered, listening to Jesus speaking the word to them. The word about God's kingdom, using parables to describe the kingdom. Uh, This is dramatically interrupted here in verses 3 and 4 as four people attempt to bring this paralysed man to Jesus. They've tried probably several ways of manoeuvring their way through this enormous crowd at the door there and it hadn't worked and so they improvise. And literally what goes on in the story is that they unroof the roof. Uh, Typically you may know that houses at the time had flat roofs Uh, They were made of wooden beams and uh, branches were thatched together and layers of mud were applied and packed down and rolled to make it a a firm roof. And because Capernaum was was sort of known as an upscaled village, you know, um, like Alderston really, um, upscaled, you know, near the Sea of Galilee, it probably had, we think, well, experts tell us it probably had ceramic tiles as part of the roof. And so these people have taken the stairs on the outside of the house. They've gone up the stairs. There you can see a picture there. And it says in the, in the account that they're digging through the roof. And it's not just sort of, you know, bits and pieces. It actually really is a demolition job. There's a few people here that are builders, I think. When we talk about demolition, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's actually a, re, a deconstruction of the roof. That's what they're doing. It's, they've, got, they've got to create a decent opening, uh, a glorified manhole, put it that way, okay? A big, big hole in the roof there. And uh, it would have taken them some time, I, I, fa- I fancy. So there's Jesus speaking the word and bits of debris are falling down around him. Maybe for the next 20, 30 and 40 minutes, we can only wonder how long it took them. In any case, they made the opening. They've lowered the man and the, uh, that was paralysed uh, and bringing him to Jesus. And so really a visitor has dropped in. And Mark includes no words by him or his stretcher bearers. 
Uh, we can only assume, based on what they did, they were expecting Jesus to heal him. To compare them with the teachers of the law, who we read in verse 6 are just sitting there, not saying a word, thinking to themselves, as Jesus knows their thoughts. So he knows the thoughts of the four stretcher bearers and the paralysed group. One group sitting in judgment on Jesus, thinking to themselves, and Jesus knows it. The other bringing a paralytic to Jesus, the fruit of faith, and Jesus saw it. And no one is expecting what happens next. Son, your sins are forgiven. In saying that, Jesus has just looked right past what appears to be the greatest need and forgave his sins. The greatest need is the forgiveness of his sin. It would be wrong to conclude that without question the man's paralysis was due to his individual sin. Uh, God's word gives us examples of people's sin that causes the suffering and there are examples in God's word when it doesn't. So in Acts 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira struck down because of their own sin. Or the man at the pool, remember in John 5, he's healed. And then Jesus says to him, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. But then there's Job, isn't there, who is suffering and it isn't due to his sin. Nor is it because of his sin that the man who was born blind in John 9. So we've got to be careful. But what is clear is our human problems are present because our world is fallen. And that's because human sin, our rebellion against our creator, has brought this curse upon our world. And we suffer. Unless the root cause of these problems is dealt with, the solutions to these problems will only be temporary at best. For the paralytic, the forgiveness of his sin is his most critical need, as it is for every one of us. For this reconciles us with our Creator. Has Jesus said these same words to you? Have you come to Jesus with your felt need, your physical need, emotional need, your social or psychological need? 
and found that he has met your greatest need. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You can be sure as we bring people to the Lord in prayer, he hears our concern for others and responds to our faith as well as theirs. Rightly, we should persevere in trying to bring people to Jesus. Like those stretcher bearers. Who didn't give up. Rightly, it may be we continue to bring someone asking that the Lord would make them well. And yet consider the paralytic. Without his condition, he might have lived and died ignoring the Lord. Might never have seen Jesus, might never have come to him. He may have run a farm and had plenty of sheep on it and cattle and who knows. He might have amassed great wealth. He might have succeeded in full measure and enjoyed a relatively trouble-free life. Would he not, having reached the end of his life, thank God for his paralysis? And why? For through it, he heard the most blessed words directed at his greatest need. Son, your sins are forgiven. That moment in the house was like the beginning of eternal life in his soul. Pray the Lord to heal sickness and the felt needs of others, but may he see your persevering in prayer for the forgiveness of their sin. To live a Christ-centred life that is reconciled to God as it faces the challenges in this life. Arthur Stace was a homeless alcoholic who lived in the streets of Sydney. For years he lived that ruined life. Trying to deal with that addiction was one thing, but he was wonderfully converted to Christ one night at St Barnabas Church in Broadway. As he was brought to Jesus through a message that he heard on the 6th of August of 1930. And from then on he quit drinking. And two years later he heard another sermon in which the preacher said this in it. Eternity. Eternity. I wish I could sound and shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? And from that, Stace began writing the word eternity. Several mornings a week, he got up for 35 years, around 4 o'clock, and he went around the streets of Sydney, chalked the word eternity on the footpaths and doorposts, at railway station entrances, everywhere else he could think of. And he also stood on the main streets of Sydney and told... He, 
I think, 10 people a day how to get to heaven. Stace knew Jesus had met his greatest need. His sins were forgiven. He knew he would spend eternity and how he would do it and why. Let's not grow tired in our determination of bringing others to Jesus who meets the greatest need, the forgiveness of their sins, so they too will know how to spend eternity and why. In saying this, Jesus makes the greatest claim. And that is that he's God. The teachers of the law were right because, you see, they say only God is the one who can forgive sins. There is not a man, not even the Messiah, who can make that claim. And so Jesus is accused of usurping God's unique position. The man hasn't committed any sin against Jesus. And yet Jesus forgives his sin. Which is is entirely because Jesus has the greatest authority to do so. So he says there in verse 9, you'll see the verses on the screen, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. We know in the gospel that Mark has already identified Jesus as the Son of God. And here's the title that Jesus prefers to use, the Son of Man. It's interesting, uh, as you think about this, why Jesus refers to it or refers to himself in that third-person category, which, if you think in the Old Testament, is how the Lord refers to himself. So just an example of that, when God is speaking about the Sabbath day, he says it like this, that the Lord says the Sabbath day, or sorry, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. God speaking. Rather than him saying a Sabbath day to me, And so Jesus doesn't say, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. No, he says rather, the Son of Man has authority on earth. He's using the third person like the Lord does in the Old Testament. That title, Son of Man, certainly points to Jesus' humanity, that is, his solidarity with the human race. But it also points us to the fact that as God's agent, he is able to forgive and judge. In Daniel 7, in verses 13 to 14, we read about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, approaching the Ancient of Days. He has given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. By referring to himself this way, he is claiming to be the Messiah. Without that wrong expectation of using a title such as Son of David or Messiah that would stir up 
different understandings of what the people thought. As in Daniel 7, Jesus, the Son of Man, has descended from heaven. He returns there and is enthroned in glory. By Jesus saying he's the Son of Man, he's saying he's heavenly, not from earth. And that is why on earth Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sins. So then which is easier? Isn't it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Where's the proof of that? Uh, how do you test that? How do you know it's true that he can forgive sins? Isn't it more difficult to tell the paralysed man to get up and take your mat and go home? Because this takes place at Jesus' words, then at Jesus' words the man is forgiven. And that's why when the man gets up and he takes his mat and walks out in full view of them, the people are astounded. Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority on earth as God has in heaven. That's why they say, we haven't seen anything like this. They were privileged people. They heard the clearest truth, the most compelling words coming from the mouth of Jesus, words of life. They saw the most amazing things done by him. They crowded to hear him. And they remained in unbelief. Of Capernaum, Jesus said, it will be better for Sodom on the day of judgment. And this warning must be heeded today because, you see, the Son of Man has authority on earth as he now has in heaven where he is enthroned as Lord of all. God has given him authority to execute judgment. All authority has been given to him. He forgives sins. And by restoring the man gave further evidence of the presence and the power of the kingdom of God. That his forgiving words are just not wishful thinking, but effective pardon. Just as his healing words are effective to see the man walk home, the person before him, believing he forgives. There is no greater need people have than this. There is no greater claim than Jesus' claim to forgive guilty sinners. There is no greater authority than Jesus, the Son of Man. Like these friends, will you be determined to bring someone to Jesus and ask him to meet their greatest need? And will you remain undeterred to not give up until Jesus may even say to them, son, daughter, child, your sins are forgiven. Have you heard 
Jesus' words address you this morning? Who sees your faith? And it's as though he puts his hand on your head and he says, your sins are forgiven. You go home forgiven. By the power of his word, through the work of his cross, his blood that was shed for you, trust in his greatness that your sins are forgiven. Let us pray. Father, we bow before you as individuals and as we've uh, just been looking at together at this uh, section of Mark's Gospel, we see a man brought to you in desperate need. And so, Father, we recognise that we can only call you Father and call you our God because Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sin. And so, Father, we trust ourselves into that this day. We trust the gospel, this wonderful news of the kingdom, as we see the power of that kingdom breaking in with Jesus' arrival on the earth. And Father, like these stretcher bearers who persevere, determined to get their friend to Jesus, we pray you might grant to us that determination to look upon others as we might in prayer bring them to you, that you would meet their greatest need. Lord, you're the one who brings forgiveness and you're the one who answers our prayers. May you encourage us to come and may you encourage us with boldness to bring the news about Jesus to others around us so that the day may come when they can go home forgiven. and enjoy eternity the way that you have designed it.